BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Ecoish Podcast. I'm Tracy Lydiot, founder of the Sustainable Living School, and your host today. The purpose of Ecoish Podcast is to illuminate the good work that businesses and organizations are doing to move towards sustainability, honestly discuss any trade offs that they might wrestle with, and to create space for them to share their interesting stories to help listeners like you make informed choices. Ecoish podcast honors the imperfect journey towards creating an eco-friendly brand in an unsustainable society. On today's episode of Ecoish podcast, we're really pleased to introduce you to the permaculture designer and co-founder of Vine Permaculture, Cormac Harkin. So Cormac was an engineer for 20 years, and he is currently transitioning into a full-time career of permaculture. He's been growing food in his urban property for a decade, has kept chickens, breeds worms, and loves making compost. He also has his own podcast called The Permaculture Vine that focuses on education, careers, and business advice. Cormac is super passionate about helping people learn to grow their own food using permaculture through Vine Permaculture's Lunchtime Learning Program on YouTube. You can find their channel at Vine Permaculture, V-I-N-E-P-E-R-M-A-C-U-L-T-U-R-E. And in this program, he's put out how to grow an edible garden in 40 weeks and it's free and you can do it on your lunch. So it's really bite-sized pieces. So what is Vine Permaculture? It's a collaboration of permaculture designers located around the globe, operating under one brand focused on permaculture design and education. And they offer permaculture consultations and designs for your property to help you grow food in an ethical and sustainable way using no synthetic chemicals. They also offer professional permaculture designers kit, and soon they will be launching their professional course for certification soon. Hi, Cormac. It's so great to have you here with us today. I'm really excited for listeners to learn from you and have you on Ecoish podcast and learn about Vine Permaculture. So can you tell us to off to start? Uh, where are you calling in from today? 
I'm calling from uh, Derry in Northern Ireland. Northern uh, Ireland. Oh, this yes. is great. I think you're my first UK guest. I recently talked to someone from Israel. So you two are over on the other side of the pond so far. <laughs> yeah, across Atlantic. Thanks very much for having us. I'm looking oh, forward to it. Hey, it's such a pleasure. I that's I think one of the great things about podcasts is that they're borderless and because we have such a, an amazing uh, portal with the internet, people can access you and services and me from all over the world. So, um, yeah, that, that works out with our designs as well. Uh, we can do them anywhere. Yeah, it's amazing I'm what so you can do excited to talk to you about yeah. that. So, um, I'm curious though, I was wondering if we could kick off with could you start by telling us in your own words, what does your company, Vine Permaculture, do? Right. Well, we have, uh, there's two sides to our company. Um, so basically we do permaculture property design services and education for beginners. So if you're a homeowner and you're looking at your property and you want to grow food and basically we offer that design service and basically helps you not to make any like big errors at the start. So we help you like, it might sound common sense, but like put chickens beside your garden because the garden feeds the chickens, the chickens feed the garden and, and then how you work through that space. So we'll take your specific property and your personality as well. We'll put your personality. Are you a, a lazy gardener? Are you an active gardener? And we'll take all these things into consideration, do a design fee and then do an art of and tell you how you can operate in that space. And then we also have to our side as professionals ourselves and experienced designers, we noticed uh, an opportunity then to help people coming behind us. So we have developed like a designer's kit, uh, which is basically like a checklist. What do you ask people? Uh, what do you ask clients? Uh, so we basically brought our workflow and our processes, our checklist that we developed ourselves over the last couple of years. And we sell it as a kit. And we also have a PDCD professional course that's coming out now in the next uh, 68 weeks, which is basically for PDC graduates who have, who have just graduated as uh, permaculture designers and bridge that gap to a professional designer. So how do you like digital design? How do you use Google Earth? How do you use all these tools that are available online? Um, and that's, that's the two sides. So it's sort of... Two different sides, but it's two sides of the same coin. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. So what I heard you say is you have like a public facing side that you help folks that are looking to grow food in their backyard. And then you have more of a professional facing side that you've identified some gaps in the market of when you, and PDC, just correct me, acronyms are so fun. Sorry. Professional <laughs> Permaculture Design Certificate. Yeah, it's a permaculture design certificate. So yes, if you're okay, yeah. a good guess. <laughs> <laughs> so a, a, a PDC is basically based around uh, Bill Mollison's seventy-two week course, and it's there's fourteen chapters. Uh, no, there's twenty odd chapters, and it's seventy-two hours of teaching. And then once you do that, then you're you get your certificate. Of okay. A, you're a certified permaculture designer at that stage. And I wanted to uh, maybe even like back the bus up fully to talk about what permaculture actually means, because potentially there's some listeners that might have seen the title and clicked on this, but don't actually know what the difference, for example, between somebody like myself, there's just like, I'm going to grow some food. And I built like boxes in my backyard and chuck vegetables in versus 
if I had come to vine permaculture and said like, help me design a gardening system, I think it would be really valuable to talk about that a little bit. What are the big differences? So the, the different uh, permaculture is like uh, permanent agriculture. So that's, that's the, and it was term, I think by Bill Mawson, who, who seen the destruction and developed the system along with a guy called David Holmgren in Australia. And he developed the system to, um, basically it is a systems approach to growing food. And also it starts off in the garden, but it, it grows up into other things like waste resources, community, even finances, um, how we all in interact together and how we treat the world. Mm. So there's, th there's three main ethics is earth care, people care, and fair share. Mm -hmm. Now, fair share has changed. That's that's an old other argument, but it's basically the, the three. So it's in everything you do, you have to look after people. You have to look after the earth and you basically can't be too greedy. Mm. <laughs> um, and then there's, there's like uh, 12 principles, for example, like observe and interact, obtain a yield. So it's it's like a framework for how you live your life and how you, uh, as a consumer of food and inhabitant on earth, how how you use earth resources mm. correctly and wisely to benefit people instead of just using and consuming. Mm -hmm. So when you start off in the garden, you start off with looking at a systems approach. So you would take, for example, your waste stream from your kitchen. So you would say, right, well, that's a waste resource. If that doesn't have somewhere to go for something to use it, well, then that's waste. Yep. So what you do then, you can either compost it, you can feed it to the chickens, you can feed it to worms. Then that produces manure, which then can be put back in your garden to grow your food. So there's a as a closed loop system there. Yeah. So, so yeah, compost the stuff that comes into your kitchen is wasted waste. <laughs> if, yeah. if you don't do something uh, with it. And I don't know if listeners know this, but um Paul Hawken and a group of folks uh published a book called Project Drawdown, where they looked at a hundred different solutions that exist today in order to massively impact the amount of GHG emissions, so greenhouse gas emissions that we create as a society, no new technologies, no blue sky thinking. And um, the top three out of the 100 was stopping food waste from going to landfill because when it goes to landfill, it gets buried in with a whole bunch of other mixed things and it creates methane, which is I think like 20 plus times more powerful than uh, carbon dioxide for for making climate change or greenhouse effect, which then creates climate change. So I love gardening and I, um, I feel like it's such an achievable shift in your behavior that compost, making compost or getting your food waste to a compost facility if you live in a city or a community garden is actually one of the most impactful things that you can do if you care about climate change and wanting to create a solution. Yeah, well, the, the solutions are in the garden uh, and taking that wee bit of responsibility. And it doesn't take that much time as well. Like, that's the thing with the way, if you do a permaculture design on your property, it shouldn't take that much time because you're working with what you have and working with nature. The problem is when you work against nature and work against what nature wants and you fight nature, mm. well, that's when you're inefficient and that's where you, it, it wastes your time. Mm -hmm. and waste resources 
And as well, was it permaculture? You actually trap them gases. So if you take your food waste and mix it with straw, for example, or cardboard, which is a waste product, that actually, they combine together and that actually the carbon and, and the nitrogen combine and create the soil, which builds layers, which creates life, which is good for the environment. <laughs> so you're, and, you, and you're not, you're not taking that waste off the municipality or a, or a central location. You're not wasting diesel. You're dealing with your own waste. So it's mm-hmm. a decentralized system. Mm-hmm. And that's where permaculture comes in over gardening is you're not buying fertilizers and you're not purchasing resources. You're utilizing community resources like cardboard wasted your bills that come in shred them yeah <laughs> all the all the cardboard we buy so you just by making that if everybody made that small five percent change and shift it would be a massive and then with a momentum then you start getting into more things in above that yeah, I, that's such a great, uh, that's such a wonderful and great point about the cumulative effects of small changes if it's widespread. So can you tell us a little bit more about how widely applicable permaculture is? Maybe some listeners are sitting here thinking like, well, I live in the city, maybe I'm in an apartment building, I don't have access to a compost, or even maybe they don't even have space. Um, what would you suggest the applicability is and what could folks like that that are listening do well it is applicable at at scale and not at scale so uh there's some composting systems it's called a bukashi bin a bukashi bin a bukashi composting it's called and it's uh it's basically it's a tub that sits there in your kitchen yep so you don't have to have a garden and you put your food waste in it and then you put this type of bran in it and that that composes and there's no smell and that, that'll decompose in your in your kitchen. If you're not so squeamish, you can get worms in a worm <laughs> bin and you can keep that in a closet, believe it or not. <laughs> wow. Most people might keep it in a basement. And then yeah. uh, again, you can compost in the worms, you get the worms out, and then you can grow house plants, you can grow microgreens. Uh, one example that you wouldn't think of was like if your house is moldy, say it's damp. Ireland's very damp. Sometimes there's houses problem. Well, you can get actually plants that'll help with your damp and suck that moisture out. So that's instead of buying a humidifier and putting it in your in your kitchen, you can get certain types of plant that'll help. So that's an application. It's just not about food. So that's permaculture. That's that's dealing with things in a natural way. Right. And so what do you? That's those are great points. Um, we live, well, I live in British Columbia. I'm in a pretty arid place, but my sister-in-law lives in one of the Gulf islands and she constantly deals with, uh, mold issues and toxicity around it. So remind me to ask you what kind of plants those might be. (laughs) So I can pass that along, not to put Uh, you on the spot. Yeah. And there's other things as well. Just the way you set up your house, um, like I know in hot, some hot places, you to keep the house cool, you would open the windows at night and close them during the day. That's that's using natural systems. You're not relying on air conditioning. You're not relying on heaters. That's just yeah. a natural way. So that's that's permaculture. That's that's part of it. It's like using using nature and using your brain, the big brain God gave us, and just you have to use it. Yeah, <laughs> and I you're love manipulating that not- nature. 
yeah not not fighting nature but like working with it and so i'm super curious if we could just double click back on the um the bokashi bucket and composting in your house would uh i know some people might find that a little squeamish so have you had experience with folks using um like an electrical i know there's like countertop electrical style compost machines have you had experience with the products that come out of those none at all okay. uh, is that the ones that really make, uh they, they they increase the the composting speed yes by heating it up yes and i think some of them have an agitator in them as well yeah uh, i'm not although my background's in engineering and electronics i tend to avoid any gadgets to get <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh like my compost bin out the back gets up to uh, 70 celsius so it's, it 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 be really warm, so because uh, I'm using the right mixture and yeah. I layer it and I water it, I look after it. Well, it's good. So I it guess can it's get up. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, and it and then it's if you're using if you could solar panels, so they have their issues as well. I'm not sure. I don't really have an opinion. I don't know enough about it. They say it, but if it's encouraging someone to compost, is it such a bad thing? Right. The few watts that they use composting, what's how many watts in diesel is that going to take to shift that away? And then they're getting compost out, which they can use in their garden, which they'd always have to buy. So there's a, there's a, I think we have to avoid saying absolutes. It's a machine, so it's wrong. Yeah. There's a balance and you have to weigh it up for your own situation. Where I'm at now, does this make sense or does it not make sense? Right. And every, every individual makes that decision rather than a blanket rule for everybody. Yeah, which is what we started talking about in the beginning of the podcast. So yeah, yeah, I kind of put you on the spot. So thank you for that answer. And it just sounds like no matter where you live, there is some level of a solution for you and also some level of a solution that will match your, I think you said squeamishness of whether you want to deal with worms or have, I have had a Bokashi bucket in the past. I lived in Australia for a couple of years and they were really popular back then. They were really easy to use. And um, and I do know a few folks that have the countertop ones and just, just love it. So I guess it really depends on what solution works best for you. Yeah, um, and microgreens is another solution too. If you haven't got much room, they're full of nutrition. You can grow them on your kitchen countertop. And then all you need is a south facing window. They green them off. So that's that's something you can do, and they're nutritious. You added your salad, and even if you're just growing a few lettuce in your windowsill, you're doing something. Yeah. And another important sort of part of that question or answer to that question is, you do what you can where you are, so that when you move, you don't wait to move somewhere to do it. Do do it within your own constraints, so that when you move somewhere, if you do move somewhere, then you can do more. You've already got the skills. And you've already got some practice and you've already got that mentality. Mm-hmm. So you can improve. Mm-hmm. So if someone who is thinks, oh, I don't have any room. Well, the, the best designs are the designs with the most constraints because you have to design for those constraints and work yes. within your system and constraints and you'll get the best solution. I love it. Um, we ought, we always say that in sustainability as well, that it's creativity happens within constraints and it's a wonderful point and a supportive point um, for listeners out there that are maybe they're in the city and they're like, I can't do this. This doesn't apply to me. It just really 
sounds like there's lots of baby steps that they could take. And I do know that when you pick food right away and you get to consume it right away, so say you get those microgreens in a smoothie or you add them to your salad, the nutritional density and the taste is just so superior beyond anything that you would ever get from the grocery store. And I feel like that's such a huge win for when we're investing in our own health by eating the food that we grow. And this kind of like leads into my broader question that we've, uh, that I wanted to ask, which is what other ways do you feel like permaculture helps folks make eco-friendly choices in their life? It helps you, you're growing your own food. So it's the food miles, the energy that it costs, as you say, the nutritional density, you're healthier, you're happier, mentally, you're stronger. All these human benefits are there. And that leads you to be a more positive person mm. and have a more positive outlook. And it, it can be, it can be applied to a lot of situations and a lot of circumstances, a lot of scales. Yeah. Um, so it makes you think once you start down the road as well, it's like that you open the door to sort of thin end of the wedge. Yeah. So you start questioning, like you said about the, the first time I tasted one of my own grown lettuce, I couldn't believe that lettuce actually tasted of something. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's nice. What else am I going to grow? And then you eat that and you go, oh, this is this is amazing. Then you just, it sort of keeps going because then you realize you st- it starts opening your eyes to what the world is. And then it starts, you start making more eco-friendly choices. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be an eco-warrior or a, extremist it's just this is natural food this is natural systems this is the way we're supposed to live this is the way yeah. this is our base layer we've been thrown off course for some reason and it's about getting back to that sort of base way of living with with the land with nature and be a part of nature absolutely i was thinking when you're talking about uh lettuce i had that same experience when i um grew some strawberries for myself a couple years ago and when you pick strawberries off of the vine and they're like warm from the sun and you eat it, it's just like a flavor explosion in your mouth. And I remember thinking like, I don't remember berries ever tasting like this. And it's such a great analogy, I think for um, exactly what you just said. It like blows your mind open to the possibilities of improving your health and enjoying food. And then also as we like travel further down that pathway, like what you were sharing is that it makes you start to think about like, well, how many times do I drive to the grocery store a week? Can I cut that down? Am I spending, you know, and fuel is so expensive right now. So one of the things I really noticed when growing food in the backyard is like how little I go to the grocery store during the growing season. And it's, actually really pleasant other than like not running into folks that I might want to see in the grocery store I live in a small town so it's like (laughs) super social like sometimes it takes like an hour to get your 15 minute grocery shopping done because you run into all these people that you want to talk to but besides that it's really nice just to be able to walk out into the backyard and grab food and um, be part of that closed system and I mean, I'm a bit of a nerd because I think about this all the time, but I I do know people that are starting down that path and are starting to understand the benefits. And 
one of the things that really struck me about permaculture and what I'd love to talk to you about is efficiency and how, so for example, my garden is in square boxes right now and I've laid out what I could um, with watching the sun, but I think permaculture takes it one extra step and I really was wanting to hear about uh, a type of garden, say for like somebody that might have a backyard, maybe have a single family home, they have some room. How would, how would you approach designing a garden for them specifically about efficiency and systems? Yeah. The, the first approach you have to basically, there's a few basic questions you start off with and it's, um, so you, you have, what type of gardener are you and what, what type of garden do you want? Are you uh, an energy ball who just has to be out in the garden 16 hours a week? <laughs> or are you someone who just wants to go out and just relax and maybe do an hour here and hour there? So it's about finding your level of energy and your time commitment. So then that sort of tells you in a balance of basically annuals to perennials. So annuals are something that you plant every year. Mm-hmm. They're a bit more work but you can get a lot out of a small space so an annual would be like a carrot or potatoes uh lettuce you just you plant them you, you harvest them and that's it you eat them well mm-hmm. whereas a perennial is more of a it, it you plant it once and it'll give you a harvest over many many years so like a fruit tree or berry bushes mm. so what you want to do when you're designing the places is is get a balance of them just to suit the personality of the client. Then you have to take into consideration the grow zone, what, mm-hmm. what you can grow. Where is the garden located? Uh, is it basically like in the Northern Hemisphere for us? If it's a south-facing garden, that's great. You could plant a sun. If it's in the north, it's like, oh, it could be more <laughs> of a problem because you're reducing, because it'll be in the shade. Right. Or is it far enough away from the house that it doesn't cast any shade? Mm. is there any obstructions is there big trees about so basically what environment is the back garden in mm. then you look at the the sun uh, the orientation of the sun how much sunlight they get and then you have to select the right plants for that balance and then also the right design some people like square gardens that's just and, and some people don't some people like the big mess yeah. So you just have to find a combination for that individual. So what we'd suggest is a as a mixture of the two. So you'd have like um I don't know if you're familiar with guilds of plants. Guilds? Yeah. So a guild of plants is you plant basically six or seven plants together. Each plant has its own specific function. Okay. So like for example, like an uh let's just take an apple tree guild. So you have the apple tree in the middle. And then you have all this space underneath. So what do you do with that space? Mm-hmm. So we want to utilize that space. So we may grow some uh, plants in there, like repellents to scare, take insects away. Okay. So some good repellents are garlic. Garlic will, will, will repel, so that you might repel some pests. Then you'll grow some flowers, and the flowers will bring pollinators in. Yeah. So they'll bring the bees and the wildlife in. So what you want to do is then you create as like a, a little haven for all these insects. And a, and, a, and a like a small guild or a small like a individual ecosystem. Yep. And that underneath basically the then, apple tree. Underneath an apple tree. So and then you beautiful. Can, <laughs> yeah. So then 
you have the shade, so like you could throw some strawberries in there, raspberry bushes, edible flowers like nasturtiums, and then all of a sudden you have these six or seven plants which are acting together and helping each other out. And then that protects the plants you're harvest then from it makes it harder for predators to zone in to that nice lettuce of yours. <laughs> I need <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> uh, um, so that's that's where we sort of put put gills. So we plant in gills, and you can do this in like a circle, you can do it in rows. Very cool. And then you would put annual beds in throughout that. Yeah. And then the more um uh the more concerned or the more sort of Somebody who wants to grow all their own food and be more self-sufficient, you would grow more annuals. Yeah. Like uh, potatoes or turnips, stuff that you can grow and store through the winter. Yes. So that gives them that store. And then, of course, you add animals into that design. Okay. Animals are great for fertility in your garden. So like say, chicken, manure, rabbit manure, worms are really good if you're really stuck for space because you can put the you can compost in your annual bed yeah. so you basically put a pipe into the ground so you can see there it's like a, a it's like a con you're like a conductor trying to balance all <laughs> <Totally>. these pieces <laughs> and you so i heard you just say that you could literally have a worm farm underneath an annual bed yeah so it, if you've That's raised, super fun uh and it's particularly good in really really small spaces and you have no room for animals or you don't want rabbits or chickens yeah. And what basically it is, it's a six inch pipe you just put down the middle of your bed. Yeah. And you put holes in it and then you put a cap on it. So when you, you're finished with your uh your kitchen waste, you open the cap, put your kitchen waste in, put some cardboard or straw, put the uh your your worms are already going to be in there from like you buy worms, composting worms. Yeah. Put the lid on and that's you. That's they'll eat the worms and then they'll go about your bed, uh lay in their waste in the bed, and that fertilizes your bed. Oh my god, I love so that so much. It's yeah. like super sleuthy worm composting while growing food on top of them. That's amazing. Yeah. Because I so also it, think like that makes sense to me. I feel so, I was I had a worm farm at one point too, and I felt so bad for them because they were in this tiny little plastic box, which I know they don't care about because they're just doing their thing. But I love that idea. So thanks for sharing that part. Um I wanted to ask you if you had, um, one of the questions I ask is what are your biggest wins to date? And so I'm curious if you have like a case study that comes to mind about uh, a massive transformation or something that you just consider, I'm just putting words out there, but uh, I'd love to hear what you think about what a big win has been for you. Um, a big one personally for for the three the three of us who started this is just getting to where we are now. So we've basically started this as a as a, like a side hustle. Okay. And now we've got from we're basically with regular content going out now. We have our podcast goes out. We have our lunchtime learning. We have a blog. So we're putting out a lot of content. We've got under a good rhythm now of, of and it's only three of us. <laughs> and so I'm I'm particularly very proud of where we've got in such a short space of time, for for only having three of us. Um, so that's definitely a big one. And then I feel now we're in a position now to contribute more to our community and mm. sort of be a voice to encourage people to actually start growing. So we're able to now we've done a we've done a good um, I think we've done a good uh, like a portfolio of work 
they've come out, we can now start to share with people. Yeah. So to get in that place, that we actually help more people. So we're helping gardeners try to transition to permaculture gardening. And we're also in a place now that we can help our professionals who are coming behind us to get them up to speed so they can go out and design gardens and sort of have that groundswell and movement. Mm, that's, that's, a big, that, that's a big one for me anyway. Yeah, that's such, uh, it's um, like indirectly impacting so many people as you're pulling, you know, as you're elevating, you're pulling people along with you and helping them rise. And I just truly believe that that's such a wonderful value to have and a, a way of contributing to society and really building like trust and trusted relationships around you. So, you know, congratulations to you and your team for, for doing that. <laughs> Thank you. That's a huge uh, thing to say and be, you should be super proud of yourself. Um, I, right. So then is it kind of like being a lawyer? Like you go to school to be a lawyer and you come out, but you don't actually know how to be a lawyer, like professionally, would you say um, that that's the gap it, it, that you're filling? Well, it all depends because like, um, you can, you, some people who have been practicing permaculture for 20, 30 years, and then they go get their permaculture design certificate. And then you get people who have know nothing about growing food and then get their certificate. So you can see there's a big gap. They're both qualified, but they have different range of skills. And then particularly now with the, there's some designers I've met who have like 20 years experience, but can't use a computer. Right. So they, they, they hand render all their designs. And when you're hand rendering design, if the client wants to change, you have to redo all your drones. Whereas if you do it digitally, you go on and make a five minute change and you can actually do it while the client's on the phone with your own Zoom. You can be showing them the screen and say, right, we'll move this, we'll move that. And it's just bridging that gap. And it's also speeding up the gap to enable them to say, well, to, to show a company, a design company, say, look, I've done this course. Here's the here's the syllabus and here's where I'm at as a designer. And mm -hmm. just as like an aid for them to get employment. That's wonderful. It sounds like it's a much needed service and... Uh, that you are meeting people where they're at so that's always that's valuable. actually what that's what one of our sort of internal sayings is you have to and, and you have to grow you have to meet people where they're at where they're growing their situation where they are are they in a flat with a balcony or are they in a big piece of land you just meet them where they're at and take it from there yeah oh no I think mm -hmm. that's wonderful and you know, I think one of the things that people stumble, uh, stumble along with sustainability and, you know, I don't think that the mass media is really excellent at helping people feel like they're doing it right because there's always a, a particular way that comes across. Like if you're not doing it this way, then you're like a bad human. And I love, I always say there's always a solution. And one of the things I often say too, is like, you have to do what you can in your context and just forget the rest because everybody lives in a different place. It's a different culture. There's different, you know, everything is different for each person. They might have different budgets. And I love that you take that approach too with growing food and helping folks. So yeah, for us, it's just about, uh, I'm not sure the guy said, pushing the needle in the right direction. So just gently pushing people, because I think if you push them too hard, they're just going to push back against you. So it's just showing people the way that this, look, gently persuasion, yeah. rather than this hard line approach that sometimes you see. And uh, we've, we've had some... Uh, conversations on that online <laughs> I can I can imagine uh, well and it's I'm sure it's hard when you um 
when you're passionate about something and you want to help people kind of raise their awareness around it and I'm sure the passion just comes through so that's yeah it's about and then once you start meeting people get enthusiastic about it they want they grow but sometimes that they just it's it's too much information it's it's just too much for them and they they get paralyzed by what do you do with all this information so what we want to do is provide that information small chunks yeah for on our free we have a free course and a lunchtime learning we call it and it's basically 20 minutes a week where you go on it's free and then if you want help from us then we'll provide you that professional help so it's again if you want it for free it's there for free and if you want more help you can avail of the service which again a lot of people appreciate i think it's just that uh you meet them where they're at and what they can do yeah it's fantastic i um i can personally admit that i'm a terrible green thumb and it's one of the places that i'm learning to get better in my own life and i've been growing food for a couple of years now um and it's such a learning journey of like what fails and where things go and i didn't design mine with permaculture in the background uh as the base theory so i'm really actually personally looking forward to starting on your uh 40 week free journey so and i think you're really going to help so many people with that offering um but before can before we kind of go down that rabbit hole because I have like so many questions that I'd like to ask yeah. you and I'm just noticing too is it on this side I have a little angel beam coming down it's beautiful and sunny today I hope it's uh not too distracting <laughs> I haven't um, even noticed it <laughs> oh good okay good uh, uh, so um speaking of uh Oh, inspiration. What was the driving factor for or spark that um, helped you start Vine Permaculture? Oh, and I see, was, I was working as a designer. So we, we were uh, working professionally as designers. And when we graduated with PDC, what basically I did was I, I was watching a podcast and I came across the, um, I can't remember really it now, the Bootstrap Farmer was doing a presentation on a company in Texas that basically installed a, uh, edible gardens for people. So when I graduated, I had the all the tools and I just said, right, I built myself a website and thought, right, that's it. And then crickets, nothing happened. <laughs> and then <laughs> that led to some freelancing work. And then once I built my sort of, I built a sort of close network then of designers and we're just talking in general. And I thought we said, a sort of frustrating, frustration on our own journeys but we had to figure out this for ourselves as designers that the checklists weren't there or they weren't uh, suited for us. Um, like, what do you ask a client? How do you get that information? And basically, instead of a design taking, say, 20 or 30 hours, how do you stream that, streamline that process? Do you make it 10 hours, which improves your hourly rate? Mm-hmm. And then we thought, well, why why don't we offer this as a service that we can design and, and sell this as a package because you're offering value. You're, you're speeding up someone's learning curve and why not share the information for people coming behind you? Mm-hmm. And then it was like, well, that's okay. We'll do that. Uh, and as well, work crystal has uh, our co-founder. She has three PDCs. She has three qualifications. And she was doing a education PDC at the time as well. It's like a teacher's qualification. Okay. So she was already developing a free special ed course uh, to offer. So we thought, right, we'll build these courses out um, and we'll see where it goes. And then because we offered it, we were doing design services anyway, we thought, well, why don't, why don't we offer that? 
it makes sense. Doesn't make sense to have a business and not offer these services. So we could combine the two. So it was the inspiration, really, just seeing a gap and then saying, well, we can design and just <laughs> tacking that on. And that's but then that's developed over the last 12 months now and they offering the free courses and the other things we're doing now online. Well, it's fantastic. Thank you for sharing. And it <clears throat> of course it, it makes sense that you would have a collective of permaculture design professionals working together and it's like you're living your values and nothing in nature operates in isolation so I feel like networks and collaboration are the way of the future that way with a whole bunch of different industries and activities well we were finding as well within our own localities that basically um Different, different circumstances for different people but one was they were afraid to go out and get work because they couldn't handle all the work Okay. and it was like we're all working in isolation although we were doing the freelance work together freelance was, work was for a US company but I'm here in Ireland and slightly isolated so how do I build my business build my brand mm-hmm. so then I had to go out and build a brand and then somebody else had to go build a brand and we thought well why don't we just build the brand together and we all operate independently, but under the same brand. And we yeah. contribute to building that brand up. And so there's three co-founders. And then we also brought other designers in. Uh, like we have a designer in the Philippines, Renee. She uh, she doesn't digitally render, but she uh, there's opportunities for work there. So she we pitch for work for her. She mm-hmm. does the site visit. We do the digital rendering. Mm-hmm. And everybody won her. And then that means that she can concentrate on spreading the word and spreading the message of permaculture throughout the Philippines. And then we can do the back work in the background. And then we can all manage peaks and troughs. So we have a designer in Zimbabwe as well and another one in Germany. And it's a summer thing, providing them a platform. Um, so the guy in Zimbabwe has, I don't know if you know, there's power cuts and technical difficulties there. So through him working for us, we it acts as a buffer for him. Mm-hmm. So that he's he's not constantly affected by that them power cuts. Oh, the power cuts. Yeah. Yeah, that there's rolling power cuts in Zimbabwe, and there's in Africa there's there's certain limitations to getting things done. Yeah, that's so fair. we prov- we provide him that buffer of having a brand and having a place to hang his hat effectively and say yes, I'm part of Vine. Yeah. And then he doesn't have to worry about branding or internet being up or and then he he does posts for us and contributes to lunchtime learning so we're all we're all in a different place but we're all sort of clubbed together and we're yeah. hoping to bring more people on as well as we go that's fantastic and it sounds like the collaborative energy is very equalizing so that you're you're filling in gaps where somebody might have a challenge like rolling power cuts um, yeah i have a friend that lives in south africa and i can i've had a couple of my phone calls interrupted by those power cuts so i can imagine you you know it's a pain in the butt to be on a zoom phone call with a client or something and then all of a sudden your power goes out so yeah yet another sustainability issue to uh that we can talk about (laughs) (laughs) and as well too yeah go ahead no go ahead i was just saying the energy levels as well helps because not everybody's firing all the time at all cylinders so we have private lives you know personal lives and yeah sometimes some people are picking up more slack than others and it all evens out in the end yeah well it sounds like a great collective that you've got going and I'm excited to hear about its growth in the future and I'm sure that those wins haven't come with hurdles or trade-offs which is 
something that I'm actually deeply passionate about talking about and why I started this podcast is because there's always trade-offs in sustainability when you're trying to build in an unsustainable system. So I'm also curious not to dampen the mood, but I'd love to hear the, as you said, the flip side of the other coin, were there like significant hurdles or trade-offs that you had to manage in order to get where you are today? Well, we've all, we've always had the attitude from the very beginning that it's family first and health first because you're no good to anybody if you're sick or yeah. you're fighting your family or it becomes a pressure, becomes a burden. But that's not to say we weren't ambitious either and we weren't sort of pushing. So we were pushing pushing ourselves, but being very aware of right, it's time to take a break. Or if somebody was like the for example, the lunchtime there ends, it was supposed to be out on a Thursday, it doesn't go out to Saturday. And it's like, ah, oh, well, it's like that's not the end of the world. <laughs> nobody's watching right. <laughs> so it's like that sort of attitude and it's like well just relax about it it has to be it can't be a burden it has to be it has to be doable it has to be fun mm. but the, the biggest problem is, is is some people's attitudes uh and it's shocking really it's and i i had to block someone recently on instagram because i i shared a um uh I shared a thing for a, a company called Seeds for Sustainability, mm-hmm. and and they do like a, a, I'm doing a course with at the minute on environmental social government and mm-hmm. the governance and the what's the other one CSR, corporate social responsibility. Now I never, I only started learning about it, and it was only a term that I was introduced to about a couple of months ago. Now I don't know if it's a bad thing or a good thing. I was just learning about it, so I shared the thing and. Like I got really upset and saying it was a corporate scam and it's it's all this. And I was like, I, I don't know. And then he started messaging us and I was like, just go away. And I was like, I'm just learning about this. I shared something. I'm not, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a corporate shill. I'm not. <laughs> and he just went from zero to a hundred. Oh was, dear. Pat. And uh, as well too, in the early days, sort of doing some sort of initial market research. And it was like permaculture. You're not allowed to make money from permaculture. I was like, <laughs> you're not allowed what? to make money from permaculture. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like, who's, who makes these rules? And it like part of permaculture, one of the ethics is you have to produce a yield. Well, a yeah. yield is a profit. Yeah. So I need to produce a, a yield from my energy, my life force or my work. So a, a profit, you can't be ashamed of making a profit. So what would you rather do? Go and work uh, a job. That I don't like that's actually not not healthy for me and, and not doing good just so I can practice permaculture on the weekend because mm. that should be free. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, I was just and I, this has happened three or four times. And I, I I never fail to be amazed at how they're just people just get so entrenched that they say my worldview is the worldview. Yeah. And it's like, well, I respect that's okay, that's your worldview, but don't we can't all as humans were. There's millions of us yeah. every, and every one of us is in a completely different place. Yeah. Again, and so the... as long as we're pushing that needle right. towards going somewhere in a positive direction, well, until I see that that's not a positive direction, I'm going to keep going in that way. And you can't claim to be an expert and the rule maker and telling me that I'm not allowed to do what I'm doing because I'm not allowed to make a profit out of permaculture. That's like, I'm sorry, I disagree. We, <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a really um, valid point that you bring forward. I'm so glad you brought it forward um, because I feel like you know, in some spiritual communities, it's that way too. Like you, 
you shouldn't make money if you're like a healer or you are, I don't know, you do yoga or something. There's like this weird ethical morality uh, conflict that people get into. And it's similar with sustainability as well. And I often talk to my guests about the fact that part of being sustainable is that you can exist financially and that you have financial sustainability and that you are successful because the conversation shifts a little bit when maybe you're like a big oil and gas company and you're having like windfall profits from doing your business activities and you're making billions of dollars versus somebody that's maybe making one of my guests, for example, has a social enterprise out of India and he makes compostable and biodegradable plates that are swapping out like paper plates and plastic cutlery. And so how can we judge somebody like that who has to use systems like Walmart and Amazon that are in place to expand his reach and to make money? Is it not smart of him to do that? It's And it's because it's helping him make money and most of the money that they create is profits, helps support his family. But then a lot of it goes back to India so that they can expand their social enterprise. They specifically work with women. Like there's just so many benefits. And so I feel like when you reach a judgy person like that or have like somebody like that you just shared in your experience where they were like, you're not allowed to make money or, um, you know, having a judgment about it. I just, I feel like it's a really unfair and a very biased position to come from because they're not really actually looking at what you're doing and all of the multiple wins on different levels that you're creating. I feel like it shouldn't be such a struggle for folks like yourself that are working on like, how do we give back to the earth? How do we regenerate, you know, things that we've damaged and help people understand how to interact and like be healthier with the earth and food that they can grow. And like, yeah, it's all, it makes me really mad as you can hear. I'm (laughs) very chatty about it. So (laughs) and uh, I just look at it. It doesn't bother me. I just be amazed at it. And I always think the end of, well, for these sustainability issues and frosty tackle there, you need people out there promoting this stuff. And like, it's like an oil tanker. You can actually turn it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have to go out to sea for a couple of miles to turn around. Yeah. And you can't just force people on the change in their complete lifestyle. Because one, it's very dangerous. If you just stop doing a certain thing, well, you create a void. So you need to, it has to be a slow, sustainable approach. Yes. But it has to be sustainable change. So you yes. can't just change for the sake of changing and leave nothing in its place. And the people who suffer, the people who are suffering now in the less well-off regions, they're always the ones they suffer. And if you go too extreme, well, it's it's not really fair on anybody. And it's mm-hmm. not it's it's not going to work. So you yeah. need people out there earning earning an income. You need to be making these careers available to people and out spreading the message and getting compensated for it. And I have no problem if I can help someone. I'm actually the way we look at it, we're saving people money because if you pay for design, you're paying for someone. Like we have over 70 designs between the three of us. So we have a wealth of experience in different grow zones. And we yes. know how to put these designs together. Yep. 
But if some individual, so we're paying, we think it's a fair price for what we're providing and we have checks and balances. So if I do design, someone else checks it just in case you miss a plant or you get a wrong species or you, you just, no, it's, it's, it's a QA process. Yeah. So the pair, the client gets that work and they know that that work is good. Mm-hmm. All right, or a client could spend three, four years going and, and making a big mistake, like putting the chicken coop at the bottom of the garden, 500 yards away, where they, they don't visit it every day. Yeah. They're not looking after, they're not passing their garden, they're not walking through it, they're not using it. So we call that in design as a type one air. Mm. So you, you have a big chance, and that'll cost you money. Mm. And you could even go higher. Some people like spend thousands on building a pond. And they put the pond where water doesn't want to be mm. <laughs> or the soil's wrong. And it costs them tens of thousands then. Yes. The remedy. Yeah. So, so there's keep a the value. Ladies, keep the chicken ladies happy. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's a clear value exchange there. Yeah. So I'm actually saving some money, time and hassle. So why shouldn't I charge that? So I, we have no problems whatsoever charging for stuff. And we're providing as well with the courses. We're charging for the courses because the courses are providing value. We're not forcing anybody to buy them. They're there if you want to buy them. If you don't, you don't. Plus, we're also offering a lot of free stuff out there for people to get started. So there's no, to me, there's there's a mixture there. And you yeah. take what you want and you, a, it, you leave it. <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. a great balance. So um, thank you for bringing that forward. And it makes so much sense, especially if you are, if you do have the space and uh, the interest to do swales or ponds or have a more integrated animal system. Um, of course, the value that you would provide up front, a small investment in design services is going to pay, as you said, out over many, many years because you're putting your foundational structures in place and not having to move a pond or digging your swales, your um, water collection uh, structures in the wrong place or alienating your chickens <laughs> that <laughs> or, don't want to walk so far to the garden so yeah. that's super cute yeah. it brings uh what's that movie chicken run i think mel gibson was in it um did oh, you ever see it it's like that's a, cool. that's, i have seen it that was a few years ago it's a, like from the wallace and gromit creators i think uh, uh, yeah the claymation uh, i just i love chickens i could watch them all day so and that's um, the thing. But be careful when you start in permaculture because you end up loving chickens. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A friend of mine in Australia had chickens. Um, she in Perth. We lived in Perth, and she. I think you were allowed like up to four backyard chickens, and she had two. And then her mom moved, and so she consolidated her mom's chickens and her chickens, and they called them us and them, and they never ever interacted. <laughs> so we would just go over to her house and sit and watch us and them walk around and ignore uh, each other. So uh, yeah, it was yeah, uh, ch- chicken TV. Uh. <laughs> chicken TV it was great. Uh, um, uh. so I'd love to just ask you one final question because we're nearly at time here. And um, I wanted to ask you if you could just like pick up a paintbrush and paint your ideal picture for vine permaculture and the future of your company, what does that look like to you? Oh, which has been a really sustain ourselves in business and just build, build a bigger community around just getting more people in the garden and using that as like a as a as a way to introduce people to sustainability and and, and start to think about bigger issues in the world and 
It's just like it starts in the garden. I think was it one of the permaculture says like sedition starts in the garden. You, <laughs> if you're if you're gardening, you're not you're you're not contributing to all these big bad corporations. You're you're actually take you're actually just sorting yourself out. You're taking responsibility, mm-hmm. and the benefits of that are, are enormous. So it's just basically helping more people, and as well, what would be really good is helping more designers get in, in the business and 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 seeing more permaculture businesses grow up uh, and expand, and not just through design services or installation services, but like we're hoping to build a network of, say, for example, you're a copywriter and you're a permaculturist. Well, how do you sell your services to permaculture businesses? Providing right. them links and providing them networks that. You don't necessarily have to do the same thing. Mm. So we all have different skills and different backgrounds. Like my background's in electronic repair. So that goes on the sustainability that, you know, starting up workshops or workshop repair and repairing your things that lasting longer. Mm-hmm. So it's bringing all these sort of skills together in a melting pot. And that would be really good if we get a built a network of designers who came and done our course, went on to different things, but we're, we're able to sort of, bring them under the vine sort of wing and fine brand. So they save them, go out and do all that work again. They just join us. And uh, so <laughs> this is basically that. And then we have a, the way we operate it is we have a, a fully program. So if you, oh, it's not set up yet. <laughs> so basically if, if, if somebody joins us and they get a sale, they get 10% straight away. Then they're part of the design team. We only take a small percentage just for operating costs. And then they get the, the majority then goes to the design team. So it's all open. It's all up front. That's the way it is. So we're not being greedy. We just want enough to just sustain ourselves and earn a living and basically do this 20 hours a week and then work on our gardens the other 20 and be oh, happy. <laughs> that's a beautiful life uh, balance to go for. And th- saying yeah. thank you so much for sharing your vision. Mm. Um, and to sign off, I would really love to invite you to share with listeners, how do they connect with you and how can they access your free course online? And I will also put for listeners, I'll put the show notes below. So if you missed the links at all, or you're a visual learner, you'll have access to that too. Yeah. So the lunchtime learning, it'll be on our YouTube channel, which is uh, at, at fine permaculture on YouTube. Okay. And then our blog and our everything else is over at finepermaculture.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, LinkedIn, Twitter. <laughs> so we're on all of them for at various different uh, stages of development, but find permaculture.com. You, you'll be able to get all the links over there. Awesome. And mm. uh, yeah, covering all the bases with social media. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's taken a while. We're sort of, we're learning, let me say, about just... Uh, different marketing techniques and we're sort of hoping to share these as well as and put these on our course because it's it's all it's well, well this new chat gpt too everything's changing and seo and it's a lot to take in and we're sort of just trying to get on top of it experiment that's why we're on all the different platforms to see what works what doesn't work and then we'll like try uh we're noticing what type of content works better and what gets more views and then so we're sort of trying to build a build a knowledge base of that too that we can share with others in the space yeah well i feel like that's such a valuable thing because it's changing so quickly 
And if there's any permaculture design uh, professionals out there, that would be a really attractive thing if I was one of them to join along with your group and leverage my knowledge and try to try to stay on top of everything is a lot of work um, when you're also trying to do the work. So again, kudos <laughs> to you and your team for yeah. everything that you're doing. It's, I've mm. learned a lot from you. It's a great pleasure to meet you and maybe someday we get to meet in person if you come to Canada or I'm in Ireland. I'd love to see some of the gardens you've designed. Yeah, Eric, if you're over any time. Thanks very much for having me on. It's been great. Hey, listener, thank you so much for tuning in to this latest episode of Eco-ish Podcast. We're very excited to bring you new content every other Wednesday throughout the year. You can follow along at Instagram at eco.ish.podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the Sustainable Living School, which produces this podcast, you can look at the website sustainableliving.school. You'll find information about courses and a free guide that you can download to learn more about sustainable living and how to get started. The Sustainable Living School is also partnered with Your Healthiest Self on a five-day free Sustainable Living Made Easy Challenge. You can register at any time by going to the website sustainablelivingmadeeasychallenge.com. Thank you again, and we hope you'll tune in again soon. Bye for now. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.